This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris well, good morning. Welcome back. I thought I'd mix up the uh, schedule a little bit since I took a little impromptu two days off last week. Didn't come back Thursday and Friday. I got tied up with something on Wednesday, kind of threw my schedule off. Uh, and then by the time Thursday came around, uh, for me, it would have been putting together the Friday podcast. I just, I was out of my rhythm, and I, I, what what do you want me to say? Uh, you want me to make excuses? I wasn't here. That's the bottom line. Uh, I guess I needed the break. Maybe it was good for me. But I thought, you know, since I did that, why not just come back on Sunday? Because as I was going through my notes and, and trying to put this whole thing back in motion, I realized that I didn't do Putin's speech last week that I had been promising. So we're going to get to that today. I thought this will be perfect. I'll put this up on Sunday. It's something a little, uh, you know, less, what shall we say, uh, uh, you know, uh, immediate <laughs> doom and gloom. Just something that we can talk about without uh, getting your, your fear response up. This emotional overload, uh, you know, nuclear war, financial collapse, the world's coming apart. Oh, my goodness. Uh, climate change. Everything is just a existential threat. You know, astral, the fear, the the doom and gloom. No wonder you, man. No, no wonder nobody's having any kids. Why would you have any kids? They're all going to be dead tomorrow. Nobody has kids when they think they're going to be dead tomorrow. Anyway, as you can see, I think part of the reason why I took a little break is that uh, I'm really struggling right now with the with the news and the politics, I, you know, I think I think a lot of people are. Am I the only one? I'm going to say uh, no. But I don't even think it's that. I, I mean, the news has never been good news. Good news doesn't get people to tune in. That's not the case. I don't think that the reason people are tuning out, I don't think the reason that I'm tuning out is because it's not good news. Nobody's expecting good news. The problem is you tune into the news and you know that you're just getting lied to. You can't believe anything. I was texting a buddy of mine. I said, I just talked to a lineman, came back from Florida. He was down there for two weeks. They sent him back. I asked him, I said, was it as bad as they said? He said, no. I said, you got to be kidding me. Well, I think, whatever. I was getting a little disinformation on that one. But it just goes to show. Hurricane hits Florida. You can't even really depend on the information. That you know, Of course, you get the you know, alligators in the living room garbage going on. You know that people think are funny, and it's just. But the, the the problem is that there's more non-true than true, wouldn't you say? It lacks congruency. It just makes you crazy, makes you irritable. And um, I don't know. I just. Uh, what do you do? You got to keep pressing forward. You got to stay positive. Got to stay productive. I actually think it's a good thing when I think it gets so distracting, you just completely tune it out. Maybe we'll actually focus on what's important. If you can imagine that. We'll see. Maybe I can help things along. I wouldn't bank on that. Uh, on another note, uh, it's a really amazing what the shadow banning is doing to the podcast. It's uh, it's disturbing. I have some stories we'll be talking about later this week and how Democrats and liberals have just completely controlled the airspace. Um, 
and and it's not because it's become more popular because people are tuning into it. It's because that they're just smothering out anything in dissent. Anything that you see that seems to be dissenting against liberals right now, I would first ask myself, is that even authentic? I mean, they got they got to have something that resembles uh, the other side. I heard, who was it, Teddy Daniels? It was a candidate for lieutenant governor here in Pennsylvania. And uh, he, he was using the old school wrestling uh, analogy. He said, you know, you see them in the ring, they're fighting with each other, duking it out, trying to take each other's heads off. And then back in the, in the locker room, they're backslapping each other. All just some kind of freak show. And it's the media and the politicians and uh, it just goes on. But this is how they're expected to play the game. I've seen it firsthand. You know, they go, well, you want to expose and embarrass and make them look bad. and yeah, But then you're just supposed to act like this is, is normal. It's not normal. I'll give you a little uh, example, a little comparison. I was reading somewhere that the military was moving away from the screaming, in-your-face type boot camp environment. Now, you might know I'm a Marine veteran. I've been through Marine Corps boot camp. And it's not really a nice place, you could say. Those drill instructors, nice. I wouldn't say they're nice. Effective, highly. Uh, But when I read this, I thought, wow, I mean, if the drill instructors were no longer to to do what drill instructors do, which is to get in your face, move, all right, that's the job of the drill instructor. And if you take that out of the equation, I ask myself, do you even really have a boot camp? However, I want to say to you uh, that things really are different than they were in the 80s when I went to boot camp. Young people are different. They've grown up differently. I grew up, uh, not that it really matters, but the way I grew up was the way a lot of the guys that were coming into there uh, grew up as well. We worked on farms. and I was living in a suburban area outside of Philadelphia here by the time I was in high school. But all prior to high school, we lived out in rural areas, playing in the woods and creeks, and working on the horse farm, cutting firewood, working in my father's shop, then we kind of came into the suburban area and things changed, but not a whole lot. I was going over to my buddy's farm, <laughs> my dirt bike. You know, so this is the, the kind of things we were doing. And we were unruly. I was just telling the story the other day. My father had one rule for the dirt bike. Don't ride it on the road. And I kid you not, I would go sneak into his car. He had a carton of cigarettes back there. I would steal a pack of cigarettes quietly go in the shed, steal his gas from the lawnmower, fill up my motorcycle, rip out of the garage across the front lawn and go right down the road, him yelling, chasing behind me, right? And I would say, like, I wasn't really a bad kid, but (laughs) what do you call that? I'm like, God forbid, this might be my daughter. My son didn't really do anything like that. My daughter, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, get, I, I would ride the bike on the road, side saddle, and so if the police ever came, I would just cut the engine and hop off. You know, that didn't work. <laughs> I think the cop is, I'm, I read that somewhere. Oh, yeah, just how to get away with riding a dirt bike on the road. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really getting in trouble. I don't have a record or anything like that. 
Uh, but just to say, we were a little ornery, right? And I think that on some level, I just described everybody that was in my platoon, you know, of some degree of another. And so when we got down there, we kind of needed somebody to jack us up a little bit. It was the only way we were going to respond. It was the only thing we were going to respect, somebody that was a little more aggressive than we were. And it worked. It was very effective. We needed it. I needed it. 17 years old in the Marine Corps. I didn't listen to nobody. <laughs> I walked off the, under the footprints. They punched me right in the mouth. I kid you not. I think the drill instructor just instinctively knows this guy looks like he's going to be trouble. And so if you take that out of the equation, do you have a boot camp anymore? And uh, I think the fact of the matter is that it could be approached differently. More of a, a coach mentality. Now, I don't know, you know, I guess the Army has this thing where they have like a, a, their combat buddy or something. And come on, champ. I don't, you know, I don't know if we go down to that kind of level. Um, but, you know, a football coach, for example, doesn't run things like a, a drill instructor. But yet they're able to motivate athletes to to perform on the field. So it is possible to take a different approach than the standard military approach. And I think it could be better in in certain cases. So I I think, you know, some people say, okay, well, drill instructors aren't allowed to yell at people. I don't know that that's what that's saying, not allowed to yell at people, as opposed to just, you know, in Marine Corps boot camp was just constant yelling. I'm not kidding. I want to say nearly 100%. There was just like a few moments a day where like maybe there was like a prayer moment or something where the drill instructor, you know, took his cover off. But other than that, it was, that's boot camp. I'm not making it up. <laughs> I think that was pretty accurate, actually. Pretty like my, my PTSD. I'm kicking it over here. <laughs> Having a little throwback. What's my point? I think the same is with politics today. You know, people are just tired of this charade of, well, he's an idiot, he's a clown, he's a liar, he's a racist, he's a... (laughs) None of it's true or it's exaggerated or, you know, you never... Meanwhile, the person saying it has done the exact same things, but that, well, it's different, right? Look at Ocasio-Cortex up there pumping... Uh, illegal immigrants out of her city after she was down at the fence crying. It was a fake photo. They get away with it. Doesn't matter. Faking, crying. I mean, how much more fake can it get? Do you remember what I'm talking about? No, you know, listen, maybe you like Ocasio-Cortex. I'm just using it by way of example. You could use a million others. It's all an act. And I, and I think just like TV, people don't want phony anymore. People never did. People want real. People want authentic. That's why reality TV, even though it's kind of fake in itself, it's a little more closer to reality than, you know, some sitcom or something like that. It's all going away. People aren't tuning into this cable news and not tuning into all this nonsense because they see it for what it is, that it's complete nonsense. If the politicians, if the media would just focus on the truth and actually... Getting to the bottom of things and and doing good things, I think people would be interested in it. I really do. So just like the yelling in boot camp, it turns certain people tune it out. At some point, I did myself. You know, some and and I think every Marine, you you cross a point where physically and mentally, where they've they've changed you, where that that approach is no longer effective. It just doesn't matter anymore. 
We have a term for it. I can't say on the podcast. But I think people want real. People want authentic. And with that as a backdrop, let me give you this because this is real and authentic. You probably haven't heard. I know you haven't heard it anywhere else. Maybe you've read it. I'm not aware that it's uh, been put out anywhere else. Not in English. This is Putin's speech shortly after they uh, annexed this uh Uh, these uh, additional regions that were inside of Ukraine. And let's just back up a second and and call this conflict for what it is. This issue of Ukraine, somehow the American government, for many decades, you know, took under our wing without any consultation with the American people. There was never any uh, public saying, well, we're going to, Ukraine is our strongest ally. It's our job to to rise up a strong Ukraine, but yet that's what was happening. Money, billions of dollars being pumped in, pumped in, right, to keep Ukraine, what, I guess, loyal on some level to the United States, to be able to have a hand in things over there, feeding them weapons and and whatever else they were using to to continue to provoke Russian-speaking people in these different regions. Whatever you want to believe about that, and quite frankly, I really don't even know the truth. You've heard this latest story about the bridge getting blown up, and uh, I, I went to the most reliable source I could find, and it's very unclear whether that was a false flag event or an American attack or some other uh, Ukrainian attack or something like that. The, the jury is still completely out. I don't know what to believe with all that. Uh, but the United States, for some reason, just, you know, oh, Ukraine is our baby. And, and I think that points to uh, Putin's allegations that the United States wants to take down the, the Russian government. They clearly do. But the bottom line, whatever you want to believe about what's going on over there, and I don't trust Putin. You don't hear me over here, rah, rah, Russia. Uh, I don't know. You're going to listen to this speech. It might change your mind a little bit. But the bottom line is it's a, it's a, what do you call it, a geopolitical conflict. Why are we involved in it? We, just, we moved from the Middle East to what? What do you call that? Central Asia where Ukraine is? Why, why do we feel the need to be involved? And they said, oh, don't use nukes. Don't. Like taunting them. Like almost encouraging them. Why? Who benefits from a larger scale conflict? Oh, the United States would benefit big time. What a great way to wipe out their debts, right? The big bad United States military. This is what they were telling Ukraine. Uh, either either you side with us or you're going to get devoured by the big bad wolf Russia. Europe, Europe, you need the United States. You're going to have to pay us extortion. Who knows? I don't know. Let's get to the speech, shall we? I've heard much reported on it. That of course, you've got liberal media, but you've got conservative media like, ah, Putin's lies and his uh, his fake referendum vote. Oh, is this more election denying that I hear coming out of the left? They asked. They had international supervisors there. You know, no, you don't know that the people weren't, you know, didn't have guns pointed at them. You go vote. And go tell that inspector that you're happy to be there. Who knows? Who knows? But it's just interesting to me that the people here that, no, it wasn't enough to change the outcome of the election. But somehow Russia, and they weren't even there, like, fake. It's fake. It's all phony. Do you have any evidence of that? Fake, phony, lies, misinformation. You say, do you have any evidence of, an, of, of, a, of a fraudulent election in Russia? 
and you get marked for misinformation just for asking the question. Banned. How dare you? How dare you? What are you suggesting? That it was a legitimate election? Banned. Shadow banned. Shut down. Can't even talk about it. Everywhere you read, NPR, all the outlets. We're going to talk more about this theme later in the week. They just keep pushing it out there. And the, you know, NPR, you're hearing this. And next, we're going to hear from Ron Feldman on the fraudulent elections in the eastern part of Ukraine where Russia has illegally annexed against the people's will. And, and none of this is uh, substantiated, really, other than Zelensky says it. So, uh, anyway, I've heard all kinds of different things about this. I've heard that in this speech, Putin threatened to use nukes. Um, and I want to I share it with you uh, for yourself to, to uh, hear it, exactly what he said. It's not very long. And uh, now, granted, it's, it's translated to English. Could they have cleaned some things up in the process? Uh, I suppose, but I don't think it was Putin or Putin's people that would have necessarily. I take that back. I believe this did come from a Kremlin uh, source here. I have the links. You can check it out for yourself. So perhaps it was, but uh, taking it at face value, you can decide for yourself. Uh, so here we are, Putin in his own words. Uh, if I had a Putin accent, I would give it to you, but I don't, I don't even know what his accent is. I don't know if I've heard him. So <laughs> I'll just give it to you in my own, my own voice. Citizens of Russia, citizens of the Dantesk and Lagansk, am I saying that right? People's republics, residents of these other regions, deputies of the State Duma, senators of the Russian Federation. As you know, referendums have been held in the People's Republics, the ballots have been counted, and the results have been announced. The people have made their unequivocal choice. Today we will sign treaties on the accession of these uh, new republics to the Russian Federation. I have no doubt that the Federal Assembly will support the constitutional laws on the accession to Russia and the establishment of four new regions our new constituent entities of the Russian Federation, because this is the will of millions of people, which was met with great applause, by the way. And I say that specifically because I heard it reported that the mood was very somber, and you could tell they were being forced to be there, and they showed these photographs to seemingly support that narrative. I watched the whole video, and that's not the feeling I got at all. They seem very excited about it. It is undoubtedly their right, an inherent right, sealed in Article One of the UN Charter, which directly states the principle of equal rights and self-determination of peoples. I repeat, it is an inherent right of the people. It is based on our historic affinity, and it is that right that led generations and our predecessors who built and defended Russia for centuries since the period of ancient Russia to victory. Here, uh... Fighters have fought their battles, and Catherine the Great founded new cities. Our grandfathers and great-grandfathers fought here to the bitter end during the Great Patriotic War. We will always remember the heroes of the Russian Spring, those who refused to accept the neo-Nazi coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014, all those who died for the right to speak their native language, to preserve their culture, traditions, and religion, and for the very right to live. Let me just stop there a second. 
because uh, he's preaching something that Michael Savage has preached on Savage Nation. Uh, I used to listen to Michael Savage uh, very, very religiously, very, almost every day. And he taught his theme, borders, language, and culture. And here's Putin saying the same thing. I don't care what your society is. You could say this about many things. But if you don't have borders, language, and your own culture, you don't have a country. And there's an effort to wipe all that out or blend it all together. And it's never going to work. It can't work. We remember these soldiers, the martyrs, the victims of inhuman terrorist attacks carried out by the Kiev regime. We commemorate volunteers and militiamen, civilians, children, women, senior citizens, Russians, Ukrainians, people of various nationalities, popular leaders, military commanders, and many others, and all of our soldiers and officers who died a hero's death during the special military operation. They are heroes, heroes of great Russia. Please join me in a minute of silence to honor their memory. Behind the choice of millions of residents in these republics and regions is our common destiny and thousand-year history. People have passed this spiritual connection on to their children and grandchildren. Despite all the trials they endured, they carried the love of Russia through the years. And this is something no one can destroy. That is why both older generations and young people, those who were born after the tragic collapse of the Soviet Union, have voted for our unity, for our common future. In 1991, representatives of the party elite of that time made a decision to terminate the Soviet Union without asking ordinary citizens what they wanted. People suddenly found themselves cut off from their homeland. This tore apart and dismembered our national community and triggered a national catastrophe. Just like the government quietly demarcated the borders of Soviet republics acting behind the scenes after the 1917 revolution, the last leaders of the Soviet Union, contrary to the direct expression of the will of the majority of the people in the referendum of 1991, destroyed our great country and simply made the people in the former republics face this as an accomplished fact. I can admit that they didn't even know what they were doing and what consequences their actions would have in the end. But it doesn't matter now. There is no Soviet Union anymore. We cannot return to the past. Actually, Russia no longer needs it today. That is not our ambition. But there is nothing stronger than the determination of millions of people who, by their culture, religion, traditions, and language, consider themselves part of Russia, whose ancestors lived in a single century, single country for centuries. There's nothing stronger than their determination to return to their true historical homeland. For eight years, people in Donbass were subjected to genocide, shelling, and blockades. A criminal policy was pursued to cultivate hatred for Russia, for everything Russian. Now, too, during the referendums, the Kiev regime threatened school teachers, women who worked in election commissions with reprisals and death. Kiev threatened millions of people who came to express their will with repression. But the people of Donbass and other regions weren't broken. They all had their say. I want the Kiev authorities and their true handlers in the West to hear me now, and I want everyone to remember this. 
The people living in these regions have become our citizens forever. We call on the Kiev regime to immediately cease fire and all hostilities, to end the war it unleashed back in 2014, and return to the negotiating table. We are ready for this, and we have said more than once, but the choice of the people in these regions will not be discussed. The decision has been made, and Russia will not betray it. Kiev's current authority should respect this free expression of the people's will. There is no other way. This is the only way to peace. We will defend our land with all the forces and resources we have, and we will do everything we can to ensure the safety of our people. This is the great liberating mission of our nation. We will definitely rebuild the destroyed cities and towns, the residential buildings, schools, hospitals, theaters, and museums. We will restore and develop industrial enterprises, factories, infrastructure, as well as the social security, pension, health care, and education systems. We will certainly work to improve the level of security. Together we will make sure that citizens in new regions can feel the support of all the people of Russia, of the entire nation, all the republics, territories, and regions of our vast motherland. Friends and colleagues, today I would like to address our soldiers and officers who are taking part in the special military operation. The fighters who spent, uh, those who went to military recruitment officers after receiving a call-up paper under the executive order on partial mobilization. And those who did this voluntarily, answering the call of their hearts. I would like to address their parents, wives, and children to tell them what our people are fighting for what kind of enemy we are up against, and who is pushing the world into new wars and crises and deriving blood-stained benefits from this tragedy. Our compatriots, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, who are part of our united people, have seen with their own eyes what the ruling class of the so-called West have prepared for humanity as a whole. They have dropped their masks and shown what they were really made of. When the Soviet Union collapsed, the West decided that the world and all of us would permanently accede to its dictates. In 1991, the West thought that Russia would never rise after such shocks and would fall to pieces on its own. This almost happened. We remember the horrible 90s, hungry, cold, and hopeless. But Russia remained standing, came alive, grew stronger, and occupied its rightful place in the world. Meanwhile, the West continued and continues looking for another chance to strike a blow at us, to weaken and break up Russia, which they have always dreamed about, to divide our state and set our peoples against each other, and to condemn them to poverty and extinction. They cannot rest easy knowing there is such a great country with this huge territory in the world, with its natural wealth, resources, and people who cannot and will not do someone else's bidding. The West is ready to cross every line to preserve the neo-colonial system which allows it to live off the world, to plunder it thanks to the domination of the dollar and technology, to collect an actual tribute from humanity, to extract its primary source of unearned prosperity, the rent paid to the hedgemen. The preservation of this annuity is their main goal, real and absolutely self-serving motivation. This is why total de-sovereignization is in their interest. 
This explains their aggression towards the independent states, traditional values, and authentic cultures. Their attempts to undermine international and integration processes, new global currencies, and technological development they cannot control. It is critically important for them to force all countries to surrender their sovereignty to the United States. Let me just stop and make a couple of comments on this. And I know there's people that have many different opinions about what Putin is saying. Uh, But first, he's he's drawing a a very clear line to say, listen, like us or not, I'm going to say that in my words, but this is our our borders, our country, our people, our language, and we're going to protect it. And we have every right to, don't they? You don't necessarily agree or support these cultures. There may be uh, fundamental flaws in a culture, whether it be slavery or or, um, predatory sexual or marriage practices and and the way people are treated. And and those are open for conversation. And we're going to trade with each other and be part of a global community. But it has to be done with the respect of, of of the individual rights. Right? Just like two neighbors, how do you get along? Well, you draw boundaries and you say, listen, I'm not going to put up with you you know, burning trash in your backyard. And so you come to an agreement on some basic rules, right? And that's what needs to happen. But it needs to be done with respect for, for Russia as a country. And I, and I think that Putin is right. Is anytime there's been any strength in, in Russia, there's been this attempt to take it down for some reason. And then we play this kind of game of cat and mouse. One day they're an ally, one day they're an enemy. And it's all very convenient for the political class. But there's a bigger issue that he's speaking about. And this is where the whole conspiracy thing comes about. He's talking about this desire of the West to break down any national identity. And we hear it here. We see the same thing happening here. The globalists, they want this one world government. I don't think they care. I don't think they care about you. I don't think they care about anything but money and power, money and influence. And the fact of the matter is the only way that the United States stays the, the currency of, of choice, and uh, it's, 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 it's worthless paper. They have to continue to convince people that this is the way to go by hook or crook. And now it's going to get a little ugly. That's what Putin's saying. Already has. Either you, either you go along with it or it's forced on you. Now, some people would say the same thing. Well, Russia's doing the same thing in Ukraine. Perhaps. Perhaps. Let me continue on. In certain countries, the ruling elites voluntarily, voluntarily agree to do this, meaning surrendering so- sovereignty to the United States. Uh, Ukraine is an example. Voluntarily agree to become vassals. Others are bribed or intimidated. And if this does not work, they destroy entire states, leaving behind humanitarian disasters, devastation, ruins, millions of wrecked and mangled human lives, terrorist enclaves, social disaster zones, colonies, and semi-colonies. They don't care. All they care about is their own benefit. I want to underscore again that their insatiability and determination to preserve their unfettered dominance are the real causes of the hybrid war that the collective West is waging against Russia. They do not want us to be free. They want us to be a colony. They do not want equal cooperation. They want to loot. They do not want to see us as a free society, but as a mass of soulless slaves. Hey, by the way, let me interrupt again. 
You know, China is having the same struggle. China made a deal with America. The Middle East, Saudi Arabia made a deal. Deals made in Ukraine and Russia. And for a while, it was good, right? The United States passing this fiat money. Here, have a little money. Have a, have a couple of have a couple of Uncle Joe bucks to spend around. See how that feels. Get yourself a new car, some new weapons. You know, get some things for the people. A couple billion here. A couple. They get a little money. You got a little money to run again. You know, bring some stability to the region. Nothing like a couple billion dollars to bring a little stability, right? Yeah, it's all good. But after a while, they realize the fool's gold. Now, not everybody. Right? It's just like here. Right? You got people that have their hand, hands out all the time. Oh, free car. Oh, they're going to pay. They're going to debt forgiveness, loan forgiveness. And uh, they're increasing uh, uh, food stamps now because of inflation. And uh, I, heard, I think I heard unemployment benefits are going to be increased in certain places. And California, they're just giving out checks to people, you know, certain income demographics. And nobody ever turns this money down. Nobody ever says, yeah, nah, no thanks, I'll be better off without it. That doesn't happen. But generally the people that are getting these benefits um, really don't benefit from it at all. Might benefit from a short period of time. What do they do with the money? What do people in the ghetto do? I don't know. Around here, they run down to Seven Eleven. It seems like like that's where all the the drug addicts and the mentally ill people go. Uh, they buy cigarettes and play video g- poker in there, whatever I guess is legal here now, and buy scratch offs and energy drinks and stuff. And and like they'll spend their whole paycheck in a Seven Eleven. I'm not kidding. Uh, I just saw it the other day. I stopped in the 7-Eleven to get an energy drink myself. Go figure. I know there's people that say don't drink them. I don't want to go down that whole path. But I, I got a little view of what's going on. So but my, here's my point. They give this money out, and somebody's there with one of these cards. you know, And they never work right for some reason. I don't know if that's some kind of sick joke. Like the people are always embarrassed. I don't know. It said there's money on it. And you're standing there waiting for 20 minutes. I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, whatever. Pay. I don't want to be dis- disrespectful to anybody. I'm just saying, they pump this money in, and about 15 minutes after they pump it in, it's all the way up at the corporate office in 7-Eleven, paying all their vendors and the cigarette companies and, and whatever else. <laughs> right? Out, only the, the, people, the, they put the money that they put, the trickle-up theory, the money moves fast, man. <laughs> really fast. Poor people know how to spend some money quick, man. Boom. Well, they have to, because... Uh, they need things. And if you've ever been poor, you know that suddenly when you get some money, you're like, I better get some things. Because that's really what you're worried about when you're poor. Where's my next meal coming? Let me stock up a little bit. You know, rich people, they don't stock up. They don't have to. They're already stocked up. It's the poor people that stock up. Uh, where was I here? Um, I want to underscore, I already said that. Um, they see our thought and our philosophy as a direct threat. That is why they target our philosophers for assassination. Our culture and art present a danger to them, so they are trying to ban them. Our development and prosperity are also a threat to them because competition is growing. They don't want or need Russia, but we do. I would like to remind you that in the past, the ambitions of world domination have repeatedly uh, shattered against the courage and resilience of our people. Russia will always be Russia. It will continue to defend our values and our motherland. 
The West is counting on impunity, on being able to get away with anything. As a matter of fact, this was actually the case until recently. Strategic security agreements have been trashed. Agreements reached at the highest political level have been declared tall tales. Firm promises not to extend, expand NATO to the east gave way to a dirty deception as soon as our former leaders brought into them missile defense, intermediate range, and shorter range missile treaties that have been unilaterally dismantled under far-fetched pretexts. All we hear is, the West is insisting on a rules-based order. Where did that come from, anyway? Who has ever seen these rules? Who agreed or approved them? Listen, this is just a lot of nonsense, other utter deceit, double standard, or even triple standards. They must think we're stupid. Who's he speaking to, the Ukrainians or, or us here in America? Russia, he says, is a great thousand-year-old power, a whole civilization, and it's not going to live by such makeshift false rules. It was the so-called West that trampled on the principle of inviolability of borders, and now it is deciding on its own discretion who has the right to self-determination and who does not, and who is unworthy of it. It is unclear what their decisions are based on or who gave them the right to decide it in the first place. They just assumed it. That is why the choice of the people in many of these different regions makes them so furiously angry. The West does not have any moral right to weigh in or even utter a word about freedom of democracy. It does not, and it never did. Western elites not only deny national sovereignty and international law, their hedge money has pronounced, uh, uh, pronounced features of totalitarianism, despotism, and apartheid. That's a strong statement he just made right there, and completely true, is it not? They brazenly divide the world into their vassals, the so-called civilized countries and all the rest, who, according to the design of today's Western racists, would be added to the list of barbarians and savages. False labels like rogue country or authoritarian regime are already available and are used to stigmatize entire nations and states, which is nothing new. There's nothing new in this deep down. The Western elites have remained the same colonizers. They discriminate and divide people into the top, t- into the top tier and the rest. We have never agreed to and will never agree to such political nationalism and racism. What else, if not racism, is the Russia-phobia being spread around the world? What, if not racism, is the West dogmatic conviction that its civilization and neoliberal culture is an indisputable model for the entire world to follow? You are either with us or against us. It even sounds strange. Western elites are shifting repentance for their own historical crimes on everyone else, demanding that the citizens of their countries and other peoples confess to things they have nothing to do with at all. For example, the period of colonial conquests. Fascinating, right? It is worth reminding the West that it began its uh, colonial policy back in the Middle Ages, followed by the worldwide slave trade, the genocide of Indian tribes in America, the plunder of India and Africa, the wars of England and France against China, as a result of which it was forced to open its ports to the opium trade. What they did was get entire nations hooked on drugs and purposely exterminated entire ethnic groups for the sake of grabbing land and resources, hunting people like animals. 
This is contrary to human nature, truth, freedom, and justice. While we are proud that in the 20th century our country led the anti-colonial movement, which opened up opportunities for many peoples around the world to make progress, reduce poverty and inequality, and defeat hunger and disease. To emphasize, one of the reasons for the centuries-old Russia-phobia, the Western elite's unconcealed animosity toward Russia, is precisely the fact that we did not allow them to rob us during the period of colonial conquest and force the Europeans to trade with us on mutually beneficial terms. This was achieved by creating a strong centralized state in Russia, which grew and got stronger based on the great moral values of Orthodox Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, as well as Russian culture and the Russian word that were open to all. Uh, he does fail to mention, by the way, the, one little blip in that history, and uh, that would be best spelled out in Gulag Archipelago. Yeah, they had a strong national uh, centralized state in Russia that was killing tens of millions of people there. Uh, he goes on to say there were numerous plans to invade Russia. Such attempts were made during the time of troubles in the 17th century and in the period of ordeals after the 1917 revolution. All of them failed. The West managed to grab hold of Russia's wealth only in the late 20th century when the state had been destroyed. They called us friends and partners, but they treated us like a colony, using various schemes to pump trillions of dollars out of the country. We remember we have not forgotten anything. A few days ago, people in these regions declared their support for restoring our historical unity. Thank you. Western countries have been saying for centuries that they bring freedom and democracy to other nations. Nothing could be further from the truth. Instead of bringing democracy, they suppressed and exploited, and instead of giving freedom, they enslaved and oppressed. The unipolar world is inherently anti-dramatic and unfree, and it is false and hip hypocritical through and through. The United States is the only country in the world that has used nuclear weapons twice, destroying the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan, and they created a precedent. Recall that during World War II, the United States and Britain reduced Dresden, Hamburg, Cologne, and other, many other German cities to rubble without the least military necessity. It was done ostentatiously and to repeat without any military necessity. They only had one goal, as with the nuclear bombing of Japanese cities, to intimidate our country and the rest of the world. The United States left a deep scar on the memory of people of Korea and Vietnam with their carpet bombings and use of napalm and chemical weapons. It actually continues to occupy Germany, Japan, the Republic of Korea, and other countries, which would cynically refer to, which they cynically refer to as equals and allies. Look now, what kind of alliance is that? The whole world knows that the top officials in these countries are being spied on and that their offices and homes are bugged. It is a disgrace, a disgrace for those who do this and for those who, like slaves, silently and meekly swallow this arrogant behavior. They call the orders and threats they make to their vassals Euro-Atlantic solidarity and the creation of biological weapons and the use of human test subjects, including in Ukraine, noble medical research. It is their destructive policies, wars, and plunders that have unleashed today's massive wave of migrants. Millions of people endure hardships and humiliation or die by the thousands trying to reach Europe. They are exporting grain from Ukraine now, 
Where are they taking it under the guise of ensuring the food security of the poorest countries? Where is it growing? They are taking it to the same to the to the self same European countries. Only five percent has been delivered to the poorest countries. More cheating and naked deception again. In effect, the American elite is using the tragedy of these people to weaken its rivals, to destroy nation states. This goes for Europe and the identities of France, Italy, Spain, and other countries with centuries-long histories. Washington demands more and more sanctions against Russia, and the majority of European politicians obediently go along with it. They clearly understand that by pressuring the European Union to completely give up Russian energy and other resources, the United States is practically pushing Europe toward deindustrialization in a bid to get its hands on the entire European market. These European elites understand everything. They do. But they prefer to serve the interests of others. There, this is no longer serv- servility, but direct betrayal of their own peoples. God bless, it is up to them. I'm going to just stop one second because I've said the exact same things going on here. Am am, am I aligned with Putin in that regard? He goes on to say, But the Anglo-Saxons believe sanctions are no longer enough, and now they have turned to subversion. It seems incredible, but it is a fact. By causing explosions on Nord Stream's international gas, gas pipelines, passing along the bottom of the Baltic Sea, they have actually embarked on the destruction of Europe's entire energy infrastructure. It is clear to everyone who stands to gain, those who benefit are responsible, of course. The dictates of the United States are backed up by crude force on the law of the fist. Sometimes it is beautifully wrapped, sometimes there is no wrapping at all, but it is all the same game. The law of the fist. Hence the deployment and maintenance of hundreds of military bases in all corners of the world, NATO expansion and attempts to cobble together new military alliances and the like. Much of it is being done to create a Washington sole Tokyo military political chain. All states that possess or aspire uh, to genuine strategic sovereignty and are capable of challenging Western hegemony, hegemony are automatically declared enemies. There are principles that underlie the United States and NATO military doctrines that require total domination. Western elites are presenting their neo-colonialist plans with the same hypocrisy, claiming peaceful intentions, talking about some kind of deterrence. This evasive word migrates from one strategy to another, but really only means one thing, undermining any and all sovereign centers of power. We have already heard about the deterrence of Russia, China, and Iran. I believe next in line are other countries of Asia, Latin America, Africa, and Middle East, as well as the current U.S. partners and allies. After all, we know when they are displeased, they introduce sanctions against their allies as well, against this or that bank or company. (laughs) He's saying what we've been saying here. They'll go after anybody who doesn't align with them. This is their practice, and they will expand it. They have everything in their sights, including our next-door neighbors. At the same time, the West has clearly been engaged in wishful thinking for a long time. In launching the sanctions blitzkrieg against Russia, for example, they thought that they could once again line up the whole world at their command. As it turns out, however, such a bright prospect does not excite anyone other than complete political misogynists and admirers, masochists, forgive me, 
other than complete political masochists and admirers of other conventional, unconventional forms of international relations. Most states refuse to snap a salute and instead choose the sensible path of cooperation with Russia. The West clearly did not expect such insubordination. They simply got used to acting according to a template to grab whatever they pleased by blackmail, bribery, intimidation, and convince themselves that these methods would work forever as if they had fossilized in the past. Such self-confidence is a direct product not only the notorious concept of exceptionalism, although it never ceases to amaze, but also the real information hunger in the West. The truth has been drowned in an ocean of myths, illusion, and fakes using extremely aggressive propaganda, lying like gobbles. Joseph Gobbles. You know that name? Amazing that Putin's referring to it here. The more unbelievable the lie, he says, the quicker people will believe it. That is how they operate, according to this principle. Just look how fast the I Support Ukraine signs went up. It was like they were you know, on the shelf ready to go. But people cannot be fed with printed dollars and euros. Aha! He says you cannot feed them with those pieces of paper. And virtual inflated capitalization of Western social media companies can't heat their homes. Everything I'm saying is important. And what I just said is no less You can't feed anyone with paper. You need food. And you can't heat anyone's home with inflated capitalizations. You need energy. It is his point right there that I say to you, we need to keep our eye on the ball. You can't just spend your way out of every problem. That is why politicians in Europe have to convince their fellow citizens to eat less, take a shower less and often, and dress warmer at home. And those who start asking fair questions like, Why is that, in fact, are immediately declared enemies, extremists, and radicals. They point back to Russia and say, that is the source of all your troubles, which is more lies. I want to make special note of the fact that there is every reason to believe that the Western elites are not going to look for constructive ways out of the global food and energy crisis that they and they alone are to blame for. As a result of their long-term policy dating back long before our special military operation in Ukraine, they have no intention of solving the problems of injustice and inequality. I am afraid they would rather use other formulas they are more comfortable with. And here it is important to recall that the West bailed itself out as early as the 20th century challenges with World War I. Profits from World War II helped the United States finally overcome the Great Depression and become the largest economy in the world and to impose on the planet the power of the dollar as a global reserve currency. And the 1980s crisis, things that came to a head in the 80s, again, the West emerged from it unscathed largely by appropriating the inheritance and resources of the collapsed and defunct Soviet Union. That's a fact. Now, in order to free itself from the latest web of challenges, they need to dismantle Russia as well as other states that choose a sovereign path of government, at all costs to be able to further plunder other nations' wealth and use it to patch their own holes. If this does not happen, I cannot rule out that they will try to trigger a collapse of the entire system and blame everything on that or, God forbid, decide to use the old formula of economic growth through war. Russia is aware of its responsibility to the international community and will make every effort to ensure that cooler heads prevail. 
Interesting. He's talking about negotiating and ending the conflict. And cooler heads, is he lying? He goes on to say, the current neo-colonial model is ultimately doomed, which is much obvious, but I repeat that its real masters will cling to it to the end. They simply have nothing to offer the world except to maintain the same system of plundering and racketeering. They don't give a damn about the natural right of billions of people, the majority of humanity, to freedom and justice, the right to determine their own future. They have already moved on to the radical denial of moral, religious, and family values. Let's answer some very simple questions for ourselves. Now I would like to return to what I said and want to address to all of the citizens of the country, not just the colleagues that are in the hall, but all the citizens of Russia. Do we want to have here in our country, in Russia, parent number one, parent number two, parent number three? They have completely lost it. Instead of mother and father, do they want our schools to impose on our children from the earliest days in school perversions that lead to degradation and extinction? Do we want to drum into their heads the ideas that certain other genders exist along with men and women and offer them gender reassignment surgery? Is that what we want for our country and for our children? This is all unacceptable to us. We have a different future of our own. Amazing, right? Let me repeat that the dictatorship of the Western elites targets all societies, including the citizens of Western countries themselves. This is a challenge to all, this complete renunciation of what it means to be human. The overthrow of faith and traditional values and suppression of freedom are becoming to resemble a religion in reverse, pure Satanism, exposing false messiahs, Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, By their fruits ye shall know them. These poisonous fruits are already obvious to people, and not only in our country, but in all countries, including many people in the West itself. The world has entered a period of fundamental revolutionary transformation. New centers of power are emerging. They represent the majority, the majority of the international community. They are ready not only to declare their interests, but also to protect them. They see in multipolarity an opportunity to strengthen their sovereignty, which means gaining genuine freedom, historical prospects, and the right to their own independent, creative, and distinctive forms of development to a harmonious process. I want to tell you something real quick. This isn't too complicated. It's exactly the same as the problem was when we wanted our independence from England, and that was we were sick and tired of two basic things sending enormous amounts of the money that we worked hard to create, sending it to the, to the King of England. Meanwhile, he was imposing some draconian laws that made no sense. And when you tried to get anything done, you had to wait months, and you got nothing but stalling. It's the exact same problem that we have today. We, we, we gave up a monarchy. Now all we do is we have a 600-head monarchy of our federal government that thinks that they're going to run one-world government that's all originated between here and Europe. It's really amazing. These these poorer countries are saying, why why are we pay? Why is Japan paying to, to the United States for this so called protection? Nothing but a, a giant mafia. It's really true. Let me continue on. We're going to wrap up. How much more? Very almost done. As I've already said, we have many like minded people in the Europe and the United States, and we feel and see their support. An essentially emancipatory anti-colonial movement against unipolar hegemony is taking shape in the most diverse countries and societies. Its power will only grow with time. It is this force that will determine our future geopolitical reality. Friends, today we are fighting for a just and free path 
first of all, for ourselves, for Russia, in order to have to leave dictate and despotism uh, to the, in the past, to the past. I am convinced that countries and peoples understand that a policy based on exceptionalism of whoever it may be and the suppression of other cultures and peoples is inherently criminal and that we must close this shameful chapter. The ongoing collapse of Western hegemony is irreversible, and I repeat, things will never be the same. The ongoing collapse, isn't that amazing? Really amazing when you think about it. This uh, this idea of, of, of uh, hegemony, I guess you'd say the proper way to say it, um, that the, the United this empirical idea, and I think it's uh, it ties in with a bunch of other thought. I could go on and on about that. Maybe we'll do a, a, a separate podcast. But he's talking about the ongoing collapse of this leadership, you could say, that is no longer going to be determined by the United States. The battlefield, he says, to which the destiny and history have called us in a battlefield for our people to the great historical Russia. For the great historical Russia, for future generations, our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. We must protect them against enslavement and monstrous experiments that are designed to cripple their minds and souls. Today we are fighting so it would never occur to anyone that Russia, our people, our language, our culture can be erased from history. Today we need to consolidate society, and this consolidation can only be based on sovereignty, freedom, creation, and justice. Our values are humanity, mercy, and compassion. And I want to close with the words of a true patriot, Ivan Ilyin, I think you say. If I consider Russia my motherland, that means that I I love as a Russian, contemplate and think, sing, and speak as a Russian, that I believe in the spiritual strength of the Russian people. Its spirit is my spirit. Its destiny is my destiny. Its suffering is my grief, and its prosperity is my joy. Behind these words stand a glorious spiritual choice, which for more than a thousand years of Russian statehood was followed by the many generations of our ancestors. Today we are making this choice. The citizens of these new republics and the residents of these new regions have made this choice. They made the choice to be with their people, to be with their motherland, to share in its destiny, and to be victorious together with it. The truth is with us and behind us in Russia. Uh, that's it for today. I'd be really anxious to hear your thoughts on what you think of that speech. I know it was a, it was a little longer to get through than I thought, but tell me, I, let me know at ChristopherScottShow.com. Has that changed your mind? about how you view things in Russia. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, God willing, I'll be back uh, tomorrow. Hope to see you there. Make it a great day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.